If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to John chapter 16 for our Bible study time today. If you have your bulletin, open it up, grab the notes out of it so you can follow along or maybe fire up your Journey Church International app. Everything on the screen will be in your handheld device. For those of you who are watching online with us now, welcome from all over America. We're glad you're hanging out with us this morning. A, uh, about a year from next month, we're going to head to Israel as a church uh, for our eighth time. And we would love for you to go. If that's a bucket list item for you, or if you've always wanted to walk where Jesus has walked, we would love for you to go to Israel with us. Inside your bulletin is a little place where you can sign up. If you're following along on the app notes at the bottom of the app notes, there's a link that you can click to be a part of a meeting next month to hear what it looks like to travel to Jerusalem, to travel to Israel with Journey Church International. But if you go, I'll go ahead and give you a sneak peek at the trip. The last day of the trip You will do what we always do on the last day of our trip in Israel. We will celebrate the Passion Day. You say, Christian, what is the Passion Day? If you look on your notes, the Passion Day in Scripture are the last 24 hours of Jesus' life prior to his crucifixion. It begins in the upper room, kind of in the northern section of Jerusalem. It ends later in the afternoon at the garden tomb, and it traces the last 18 to 20 hours of the life of Jesus. You say, well, why is that important Today, Why are you making the announcement today? Because John 16, where we're going to study from today, is right in the middle of that Passion Day. As a matter of fact, the author of this text, John, the disciple of Jesus, devotes seven full chapters of Scripture, or one-third of his book, one out of every three words he writes in his book, is about this 24-hour Passion Day in the life of Jesus. Everything from John 13 through the end of John 19, happens in a time span of less than about 18 hours. So we hear real time what's going on on the last day of Jesus' life before he was crucified. You say, why would John devote one-third of his book to one day in Jesus' life? Because it's the most important day in the history of the world. And most of you, if you've been around church, if you were raised in church, if you went to a Christian school, if you ever maybe went to a Catholic school, you're aware of some of the events of the Passion Day because they're legendary. The Last Supper kicked off the Passion Day. Jesus washing the disciples' feet happened on the Passion Day. Jesus predicting that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And then all three denials happened during this Passion Day. Jesus praying so fervently that his sweat turned to drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane happened on the Passion Day. Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss happened on the Passion Day. Jesus being arrested, tried before Herod and Pilate, ultimately crucified and put in the tomb. All of that happened on the Passion Day from Jesus getting ready to have dinner to the tomb being sealed shut. That is the greatest, most impactful 24 hours in the history of Christianity. We know those events. My question to you is, do we know the teaching? Because some of the most important teaching for people who follow Jesus or who would follow Jesus throughout history comes in this 24 hours in these seven chapters of the book of John. And today we're going to study them. The, the, the teaching kicks off with one verse in John 14, 1 that just very simply says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is having the last supper with his disciples. He's washed their feet. He's getting ready to leave them. He's going to be crucified, buried. And then within 40 days, he'll be in heaven. And Jesus, who spent every day of the last three years with these teenagers, almost all of the disciples were teenagers, says a big transition is coming, but it's going to be okay. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I promise you it will be okay. Over the next 117 verses, Jesus teaches them why it will be okay for them. 
And kind of the main theme of all the teaching is Jesus saying, I am leaving, but the Holy Spirit is coming. And because the Holy Spirit is coming, you are going to be okay. For the next six weeks at Journey, we will be studying the Holy Spirit in a sermon series that we're calling Supernatural. We want to learn how to capture the power of the Holy Spirit in our life so we can know God, so we can hear from God, so we can walk with God, so that we can connect to God, so we can be used by God. We're going to study some basic theology. We're going to study some things on spiritual gifts and why God gives them to us. We're going to look at spiritual fruit and how we can know where the Holy Spirit is strong in our life and where it's a little weak in our life. We're going to look at how we can connect to God on a daily basis through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to start today in John chapter 16 with Jesus telling his disciples, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit's coming, so everything will be okay. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 16. Before we dig into verse 7, let's just say a quick word of prayer if we could. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes and would you whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven? You don't have to pray it out loud. Would you just whisper this prayer? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The high priest Eli taught a young man he was mentoring named Samuel that when God was speaking, he should say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, and then he should be quiet. So God, we want you to speak today through your word. God, I pray that the people who are here and those who are watching us online don't hear my sermon, but that they hear your spirit. Speak to us, Lord. We're listening. Show us what you want to see. Tell us what you want us to hear. Let this be a day where we connect with the God of the universe through the Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. We're listening. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. John 16, verse 7 says this, Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin Because people do not believe in me about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit is coming, so everything is going to be okay. Today we're going to cover kind of three very broad but very foundational truths about the Holy Spirit. For some of you who are maybe brand new to church, this is going to be the first time you ever hear anything like what I'm talking about. For those of you who are maybe raised in church... You're probably going to hear some things that you already know, but they're a good place to start our six-week journey with the Holy Spirit. Three big things you need to know about the Holy Spirit so that you can connect to the power of God in your everyday life. What do we need to know? Number one, the Holy Spirit is better than Jesus. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. That's blasphemy. I'm getting out of here. I didn't say it. Jesus did. The Holy Spirit for our Christian walk, according to Jesus... Is better than Jesus. You say, where did he say that? Look at verse 7 again. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, it's for your good. Another translation says it's to your advantage. Another says it's better. It's better that I leave. It's for your good that I am going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, if you have your pen, I want you to underline or circle these two words very truly. It's interesting that Jesus would start off a statement saying, I want you to know this is the truth. You would think that his disciples would say, 
isn't everything you say true? You would think someone would interrupt him and say, didn't you say you were the truth? I mean, what do you mean this is true? But every now and then Jesus would say, truly, 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 very truly. Every now and then Jesus would say, I want you to know this is true. And he would only say that when he was getting ready to say something that was brand new truth that was almost unbelievable. So when Jesus says very truly, listen, I'm being honest. It's like, aren't you always? No, but listen, you're not going to think this is true, but it is. Very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him. Very truly tells us that Jesus knew he was getting ready to say something that would be difficult to believe. Like, I'm getting ready to leave, but it's actually better. You'll be stronger spiritually. Who in the room would think Jesus being with us every day for three years would not be as strong as anything else in the world being with us for three years? We would all say, that can't be true. But Jesus says, very truly, unless I go, the Holy Spirit can't come and the Holy Spirit will be better. He told his disciples that the Holy Spirit in them was going to be better for them than Jesus beside them. He said, I've been with you every day the last three years. We walk together. We talk together. We eat together. We've done life together. But I am going away, and it's good for you that I'm going away. Because the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's not going to live beside you. He's going to live inside you. And that's actually going to be more impactful for your spiritual life. Jesus called him the advocate. The word in Greek for advocate is the word parakletos. Parakletos. When you read Greek history, you find this word used of four roles in the life of people. A parakletos, an advocate, is a counselor. It's an intercessory representative. It's a helper. It's one who encourages and comforts. If you're like me and you have a great counselor, I've got a great pastoral counselor that I try to go see once a quarter and just say, here's what's going on in our church. How can you help me lead my church better? How can you help me be a good dad and a good husband in the midst of trying to be a good pastor? If you have a good counselor, man, they, like, they are worth more than their weight in gold. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is a great counselor. He said the Holy Spirit is a great intercessory representative. You say, what's that? It's like an attorney. If you've ever needed a good lawyer, it's really good to have a good lawyer who can stand up and argue something or defend something better than you, stronger than you. If you've had a good manager at work who, when you can't go and talk to your boss about things that are happening to you, they can stand on your behalf and represent you. If you ever have somebody who's stronger than you, who says, I'll take care of this for you, Jesus said, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is a great helper. If you've ever had a great neighbor, like the kind of neighbor who will mow your grass when your grass gets a little too long and they know you've been on vacation. The kind of neighbor that when it snows outside and you walk outside and, they, side and they've shoveled your driveway and their driveway. Like the kind of neighbor who, you know, when your dog gets out and runs around, they bring it back to your house. The kind of neighbor who is a great neighbor who loves you like one of their family. Jesus, so that's what the Holy Spirit is. He's a helper. Like he's just always there for everything that you need. And he's one who encourages and comforts. If you've ever had a best friend who's a great friend, and they know when you need encouragement and they shoot you the text message or they hit you up on social media or they just stop by the house or they know you need comfort and they just sit with you. They don't even need to talk. They just know you need their presence there so you won't be alone if they've ever sat with you. If you've ever had a best friend who's a great friend, Jesus said the Holy Spirit is all of those. The Holy Spirit is the greatest counselor that anyone can have. 
The Holy Spirit is the one stronger than you who will go to bat for you in the things you can't argue for yourself. The Holy Spirit is the best neighbor you could ever have, and the Holy Spirit is the best friend you could ever have. You say, those are all good, but how is that better than Jesus? I mean, if that's the Holy Spirit, I want it. I want him. But how is having the Holy Spirit better than Jesus? I don't know if you know it, but Thanksgiving is one month from tomorrow. One month from tomorrow, start getting ready. Some of you are hosting. Some of you are going. But if you're like me with different families in different cities, Thanksgiving is one of the many holidays where you get to disappoint one of your families because you're not there, right? You're at either one place or another, and you just hope everyone is okay until you get there for Christmas, and then the other one's mad for a little bit. Um, If I could clone myself just for Mother's Day, like it would make my life easier. Like, Is there anyone else like me that you just can't win on some holidays because your families live so far away from each other. And it's like, there are three women who I really need to honor today. My mom, my mother-in-law, my wife, the wife of my children. Like you're in a no-win situation. I had someone approach me after the earlier service and they said, Christian, you, got, you don't have anything on me because my wife and I, our parents are both divorced and remarried. He said, I got four moms on Mother's Day plus my wife. What do you think I do? And I said, can I just hug you? Like, can, like, can we just... Can I just let you know I'm sorry for like that predicament? If you could clone yourself so you could be in more than one important place at a time, man, that would make life so much easier. And what Jesus says is this is the advantage that the Holy Spirit gives Christians over him. See, Jesus says, I'm one person who exist in one place at one time with one group of people. Jesus could not lead a Bible study today in Jerusalem with 12 disciples and also be preaching at Journey Church International, live and in the flesh. One human being cannot do that. But Jesus says, when I go and the Holy Spirit comes, here's what's going to happen. Every Christian will have every ounce of Jesus at the same time through the Holy Spirit. It can't happen when there's just one human being named Jesus. But when I go, God's going to send the Holy Spirit And every Christian will have all of me at the exact same time in their life all the time because of the Holy Spirit. Folks, it is to the advantage of Journey Church International that Jesus left and sent the Holy Spirit because that means he can go to work with all of us tomorrow. Can you imagine if we had a sign-up list today of who wanted Jesus to go to work with them this week, how long it would take For some of us to have Jesus go to work with us, but because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I can go to work with all of you every day of your life to all of your different jobs. It's to your advantage that I go because if one person goes, God's going to send my spirit back to live in all people who follow Jesus. He'll be at all of our Thanksgiving dinners at the exact same time, which is good because some of us will desperately need him there to get through the entire day. He is our advocate, our counselor, our intercessory representative, our helper, one who encourages and comforts. That's the first thing we know. But Jesus also said the Holy Spirit is the one who talks to your heart. The Holy Spirit is the person who talks to your heart. Let me ask you, has the Holy Spirit been talking to your heart about anything? Do you even know how to recognize if he does and if he has, but you think it's some, something different, do you know how to say Oh, that's, that's God actually speaking to my heart. Look at John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus said, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak. He will not speak on his own. He will speak 
only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be the one who talks to your heart. So let me ask you, has the Holy Spirit been talking to your heart? I, like some of you, was raised in a very traditional church, which means I love old hymns. I love and I know most old hymns. I grew up in a church that had a piano on one side of the stage and an organ on the other, and we sang the hymns. I love the hymns. I actually love traditional church. I love pews. I like the feel and even the smell of a wooden pew. I like holding a hymnal. Sometimes it makes me feel more spiritual to turn to page 387 and sing the first, second, fourth stanza. I don't know what's wrong with the third. We just never sang it. I love a choir who sang in robes and like you would stop the service and they would sing like a special song to you. I like stained glass on the windows. I like the King James Version. I like reading it and quoting it and hearing sermons preached. I like everything about the traditional church, and I'm as comfortable with everything in the traditional church except how to dress. I would much rather dress this way than the way my mom and dad made me dress up. But I love the hymns. One of my favorite hymns was written in 1912 by a pharmacist from New Jersey named C. Austin Miles. It's a hymn called In the Garden. Even though he wrote it in a cold, dark, leaky basement that didn't have a window, much less a view of a garden, according to his granddaughter, he wrote this, this hymn about Mary Magdalene arriving to the garden tomb first thing in the morning and connecting with Jesus. And it's one of the greatest hymns in the history of the church. It goes like this, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. The second verse says he speaks. And the sound of his voice is so sweet that the birds hush their singing. And the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. The third verse says I'd stay in the garden with him though the night around me be falling. But he bids me go through the voice of woe. But his voice to me is calling. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there together, talking, listening, none other has ever known. Does Jesus walk and talk with you? Does Jesus walk and talk with you and meet you in your everyday life? Does Jesus walk and talk with you and bring you this sweet joy when you realize you're having conversations with the God of the universe? Does Jesus walk and talk with you and allow you to think nobody but those connected to God have ever experienced something like this? Because of the Holy Spirit, he can and he desires to. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to your heart. In John 14, 26, Jesus says this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit... Whom the Father will send in my name is going to teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. God wants to walk and talk with you. You say, Christian, how does that happen? You might write this down. I don't know. Right? I mean, like that, that's the answer to this question. I, I don't know. It is supernatural. Like our series title said, it's supernatural. I can't explain it, but I have experienced it. And if you've experienced it, you know when God is speaking to you. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor and medical doctor in England at the turn of the 20th century. 
And he explained, beginning to capture and hear and feel the Holy Spirit in your life this way. He said, those who have received the Holy Spirit are aware of a power dealing with them and working in them. A disturbance, something, someone that's interfering in our lives. We're going along and suddenly we're arrested and pulled up. We find ourselves different. That's the beginning. That is what always happens when the Holy Ghost begins to work in a human being. There's a disturbance, an interruption to the normal, ordinary tenor of life. There's something different, an awareness of being dealt with. I cannot put it better. That is the essence of the Holy Spirit dealing with us. So he walks with us, and he talks with us, and he tries to teach us what God wants for us. Some of you have the Holy Spirit talk to you often. But you describe it in words like this. Hey, I was thinking about this instead of God was speaking to me about this. Some of you have the Holy Spirit dealing with you in your life right now, but you would say it this way. I've been feeling this way instead of saying I feel like God is leading me this way. God is already moving and unsettling and disturbing and turning things upside down. You just don't know it's him enough to give credit to him or to ask and begin to dialogue with him about the things that God is speaking to you about. Next week specifically, we're going to learn that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to us in three key areas. 90% of what Jesus ever has to say to us through the Holy Spirit, according to John 16, happens in three big areas. Next week, we'll talk about those three areas. Anytime you're hearing in your conscience, in your heart, in your soul, anytime you're thinking about these three areas, that is God talking to you through the Holy Spirit. If you can be here next week, be here. If you can't, make sure you stream with us. If you can't stream live, make sure you archive it at some point because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to show you these are the areas God's talking. He's always talking. He never shuts up. And in these three areas, when you begin to feel things, you need to know that's God. That's the Holy Spirit. But one of today's key questions is this. Do you walk and talk with Jesus throughout the course of your week because he wants to have that relationship with you? He told his disciples, I'm going away, but you're going to be okay. I'm going away, but don't be troubled. I'm going. The Holy Spirit is coming and the Holy Spirit's going to be better for you than me because you're going to scatter and you're going to wonder which one of us is Jesus with and the answer is he's with all of you. And at some point you're going to think, Jesus, what do I need to do? I wish I could just pick up the phone and call Jesus. They wouldn't have thought that because there were no phones back then so maybe they thought, I wish I could write a letter and have him send something back. But you're going to wonder, what would Jesus say in this situation? And he said, through the Holy Spirit, I'll tell you. You don't have to worry. Don't be troubled because you're going, but the Holy Spirit is coming, and you'll always know what I want for your life if you can learn to listen to him. The Holy Spirit does those things. And then number three, the Holy Spirit connects us to God. The Holy Spirit connects me to God. If you are a Christian today, you are connected to the God of the universe. You are connected right now to heaven. You can't see it, but you need to know it, and eventually you need to learn to feel it and hear it. You are connected to God through the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I don't do well in hospitals. Uh, I had a bad experience at the dentist when I was in sixth grade, and it's just left me like the walking wounded. If I go into, I don't like the smell of hospitals, I don't like the look of hospitals, I don't like the sound of hospitals, 
I don't do well in hospitals. When I go for my yearly checkup, like, and they have to, like, draw blood, um, I just tell them, you know, lay me down. I'm going to end up on the floor. So if you would start me on the floor, I would have less room to fall. I pass out every time that I have to have blood drawn. So they just lay me down. And I just say, wake me up when I'm done. And listen, um, when you say, you know, you're, you're going to feel a little prick, but it won't hurt. It does hurt me. I can feel the life leaving my body as soon as it hits. So when that happens, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to pass out. Finish before you wake me up. I would like to be done by the time that I'm awake. So just go ahead and, and be done with that. I don't do well in hospitals. There is a 50-50 chance if I ever have to come visit you in a hospital that I will end up in a bed beside you instead of standing and praying over you. There are people in our church who have had that experience. I go visit them. They wake up. I'm in the next bed, and it's like, sorry, I passed out again. It happens. That's, that's what happens to me. I don't do well in hospitals. So I was shocked when I made it through my kids' births because I wanted to be in the hospital room, but I thought, this could, this could go poorly. But I made it. Um, I made it mostly because Danielle did all the work. And I just like kind of stood and watched, but you know, I was above the cloth and I was like, you're doing great, honey. Um, good job. And then they pulled out like my beautiful, bloody baby boy. And it's like, do you want to hold him? And I was like, I don't, like, can we, can, can you wash him off first? So that, and then I'll hold him. And they were like, yeah. But the doctor handed me a pair of scissors. And he's like, here, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? And I was like, you want me to cut, off, cut something off my son? Like he just like came out. Now you want me to cut off one of his body parts? And I was like, I don't want to do that. And he said, he won't even feel it. And I said, that's what they say when they stick me in the arm. I don't want him to have the same problems I do. And trust me, he won't feel it. He said, he doesn't need it anymore. The umbilical cord is only for his mom to feed him while he's in the womb. He's got a new way to feed him now. Trust me, you'll regret it if you don't cut it because somebody else will. And that's kind of a, that's kind of a big deal. And I was like, okay. So I kind of turned my head and cut the umbilical cord. And he was fed through another means. And he's made it and sitting on the front row here. But but it was a struggle for me. It was a very awkward introduction to fatherhood to cut the cord. Jesus told the disciples, I'm leaving. And you have received all your spiritual food from me for the last three years. But I have another way to feed you. You're not going to go hungry. You're not going to go thirsty. You're not going to be alone. I'm leaving. The Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to be like, an umbi- like a spiritual umbilical cord. If we could see the spiritual picture now, all of us who are Christians literally have something going from our soul to heaven. It follows us around everywhere. And that's how Jesus feeds our soul on a daily basis through the Holy Spirit who has connected us to us. We are connected to God. John 14 says it this way in verses 15 through 18. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Man, there's a lot in this 117 verses of teaching between don't let your hearts be troubled and here comes Judas. And that's how many there are from John 14, 1 to the end of John chapter 17. 117 verses of teaching. Don't be worried. Here comes Judas. And the middle of that 117 verses is about John 16, 1. So I want to back up there for just a minute because there's something interesting all of us should be aware of. For those of you thinking, what's the big deal about the Holy Spirit connecting me to God? Who cares? Here's what Jesus said in John 16, 1. He said, I'm telling you all these things so that you won't fall away. I mean, his 11 disciples, Judas was already gone. He was 12 hours or so from the cross. They'd been with him for three years. And he said, I need to make sure you know this. Because you might fall away. 
Here's where we should back up for a minute spiritually so that we can go forward. We need to start admitting the things that Jesus admits like this. Christianity is hard and sometimes you want to quit. I don't know if you've ever been told that, but Jesus told the people in his Bible studies that. Hey, following me is really hard and sometimes you're going to want to quit. Actually, everything I'm telling you, Jesus told his disciples is so you don't quit. That's how much you'll want to quit. That I'm spending the last day of my life teaching you how to not quit when you want to quit. It's funny, we don't allow ourselves to talk this way in church much. It's like Christians who want to quit. It's like, come on, man, just like get in the word. Just read your Bible. Just get back in church. Like you must not love Jesus if you want to quit. These guys love Jesus. But so I'm telling you this because I know there's going to be a day where you want to fall away. Jesus wasn't the only one who talked like that. The apostle Paul talked like that. The apostle Paul told the church at Galatians in Galatians 6, 9, don't become weary in doing good for at the proper time you're going to reap a harvest. If you don't, what are the two words? Give up. Jesus said, listen, Christianity's hard. Sometimes you're going to want to quit. Paul says all the things you do in Christianity are so hard, and sometimes you see zero spiritual results from it, that you're going to want to give up. But don't give up. Keep serving. Keep going to church. Open your Bible every day and read it. Keep praying even when they're not answered. Keep giving in the offering even when you don't feel the big financial windfall. Keep going on those mission trips every couple years. Those are going to do more for your soul than they are for the people that you're serving. Jesus said, sometimes you're going to want to quit. Paul said, sometimes you're going to want to give up. Yet sometimes we make people feel weak spiritually if they even are, are, are thinking about taking a season off. But Jesus didn't and Paul didn't. Jesus just said, the only way you're going to get through that is to stay connected to God through the Holy Spirit. You heard Sierra say something really interesting through her story before she got baptized. If your connection to God is through your parents, it's not going to make it. If your connection to God is through your church, it's not going to make it. If your connection to God is through your pastor, you're not going to make it. If your connection to God is through your small group or your small group leader or your youth pastor, you're not going to make it. Jesus said, I'm telling you to connect to God because you're going to want to quit. But if you're connected to God, you won't. Paul said, I'm telling you to stay connected to God because if you don't stay connected to God, you're going to want to give up. Churches will fail you. Pastors will fall and fail. They're human beings. They've been called to do something special, but they they are not eliminated from sin or temptation. Churches have seasons where they have good seasons and bad seasons. If you will connect your faith to God, you'll be okay. Anything else, you might fall away. So stay connected to God. But then here's what Jesus said. He kind of slipped it in. One of the most important verses of this entire 117 verse sermon. He told his disciples in John 14, 18, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He said, I'm, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. I will not leave you when you need me most. I will make sure you are taken care of. I think our church provides two wonderful pictures of this spiritual lesson that we're trying to learn. One are the kids in Lysidra that we're asking you. I think Sherry Hennig, who's helping run the booth, told me we only have three left, so we need to get more. But there are going to be some kids in Lysidra, Guatemala, like mine. I had my assistant, Michelle, go grab me once I knew they'd be gone by the end of church. I said, my family definitely needs to sponsor a kid. I've been to Guatemala. And she said, all right, Jordy is yours. Here's here's the little guy that my family's going to start sponsoring. Say, who's he? Jordy Neymar J. Castro. Jordy's a joyful, fun-loving boy who loves spending time with his friends and playing soccer. He's also a talented artist and enjoys creating beautiful works of art in his preschool class. When he grows up, 
Jordy wants to help make his community a safer place to live by becoming a police officer. His parents are separated, leaving his mother as the sole caretaker for Jordy and his younger twin sisters, which happens in many of these villages. His mother works on a farm during coffee season, but for the rest of the year, she plays an active part in the village by selling goods at community events. Despite her efforts, she struggles to provide for her children through sponsorship. Jordy will receive things like nutritious food, clean water, durable clothing, basic medical care. In the next two weeks, the organization we serve with is going to head into this village, Lesidra. They're going to gather 70 little kids like Jordy, and they're going to say, someone has decided to take care of you. Someone's decided to take care of all your needs. You're going to be taken care of. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit says, hey, God got your... uh, God got the thing you hang on your refrigerator. He's going to take care of you. God has chosen you. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to make sure you're not orphaned. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Another great picture of this is so many of the foster families who serve in our church. I don't know if you know this, but every night in Jackson County, the county that our church is in, nearly 2,000 kids under the age of 18 go to sleep in foster care. That's about the number of kids in one Lee Summit High School. And while our Lee Summit school districts fight out where everyone's going to go to high school, there are 2,000 kids who wonder where they're going to sleep at night in our county. And we have families in our church that are like heroes, rescuers sent by God to step into the foster program and say, you can sleep at my house until we have this all figured out. You are not going to be alone. I will take care of you. We started a small group for these foster families. It's the very first and very smallest thing we could do just so they can know each other and be together. We're trying to figure out how we can develop some child care for them so they can go have date nights for the ministry service that they're offering to our community. We're working with a thing now called the Care Portal. Well, if a foster family's ready to go, but they receive a child who needs more equipment or furniture than they have in their house, that our church can respond immediately and provide that. And I've told our community outreach coordinator, Sherry Hennig, I said, figure out what churches in America are most deeply connected to foster programs and figure out how we can help more in our community because these rescuers, these heroes have said, those people don't need to be alone. We'll take care of them. That's what the Holy Spirit is. Jesus says, I see you not having a place to stay spiritually. So I'm going to choose to bring you into my family and I am going to take care of you and make sure all your needs are provided for. You see, sometimes it's in Lysidra. Sometimes it's in the Jackson County foster system. And sometimes it's in your heart. And sometimes it's in your soul. And sometimes it's in your marriage. And sometimes it's with your kids. And sometimes it's in the diagnosis. But there's a point where we feel so isolated, so alone, so left out. And Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The truth we need to understand about the Holy Spirit is this. Because of the Holy Spirit, you are never alone. Because of the Holy Spirit, you are never alone. Like the kids in Lysidra have our attention. Like we're trying to learn to pay more attention to the foster kids in our community. If you're a Christian, because of the Holy Spirit, you are never alone. In the next six weeks, I want you not just to know that, but to feel that. I want you to experience that deep in your heart. So you don't say, I learned that, but so you say, I believe that. So we're going to talk about some basic theology. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's purpose in our life and how he gives us gifts to help each other. 
how he gives us fruit to make our world a better place so we can look like him, how he brings us strength. But most importantly, we're going to learn how to hear from God. We're going to learn how to walk with God and talk with God and hear him on a daily basis. Tell him, I got your back. You are not alone. I got you. I'm with you. I've sponsored you. You're going to be okay. You're hanging on my refrigerator. I'm not going to forget about you. You can stay at my house. That's what the Holy Spirit will become to us. You may be here today and you might feel alone. It's interesting that the first words of this song, this great hymn, have the word alone in it. Mary Magdalene was alone that morning in the garden. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. But the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. It's Jesus, she said. Because he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. And that joy, that relational joy of being with Jesus as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet that the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. Some of you walked in and you said, I've never heard God speak. At the end of six weeks, his voice will not stop ringing in your heart, in your head. You say, how? Because you'll learn he walks with you and he talks with you and he tells you that you are his own. And the joy you share as you tarry there, none other has ever known. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning?